Table Talk with Ed. Ed Schaefer's in the house. That's what we're going to call it is Table Talk with Ed. How you been? I've been well, thank you. Good. Things good, good. great. It's fun to be with you. Okay. Exciting you, times, once a month. You have a couple of years on me, not a lot. I mean, age-wise, but uh, do you ever, ever remember a winter like this? Um. I, I think I do, but I'm not. I couldn't. I, <laughs> I think I do. I don't think it's. It's. We've never had one before. Okay. But um. But I couldn't. I couldn't give you the year. I don't whatever. ever remember something yeah. where I remember op- what mom and dad called open winters. You know, but I don't ever remember one where the temperatures were this warm. I don't remember that. I don't know. I don't know. It's really. Your wife it's amazing. Calling. Oh, by the way, did you take the keys out of your car? I. The, <laughs> my car is locked. <laughs> <laughs> several Don't times even come around several times on the way in here i've had checkpoints <laughs> making sure making sure the the keys are you know in my pocket and the car's locked and that's you know gotta have to you have to do that at the kfgo yeah, studio parking lot top, top parking <laughs> lot. so the reason that that we wanted to do this was to make sure that different sides of the aisle are being heard that's the beauty of news and views versus uh, I'm just going to say this, some other shows where only one tune to the song is ever heard, but we wanted to be able to come in and have a, a deeper conversation about state, local, and uh, national issues that are happening out there and have it done in a way where it's interactive, where you have an opportunity to visit with us at this table, thus a table talk uh, with Ed, because we want to be able to to get your opinion, get your thoughts. And uh, Governor, I'm going to call you Governor rather than Mr. Secretary, because you're in North Dakota and your wife taught me that if you're in North Dakota, it's Governor. If you're national, it's uh, – and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, no, it's just Ed. But Remember uh, – the, the, isn't the name of this table talk with Ed? Ed yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, and maybe you'll convert me to that. But uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what happened in South Carolina this weekend. Um, I think that it got people's attention that two things. Number one, that, that Nikki Haley uh, got 40% of the vote, which I think was higher than what a lot of people thought she would get. And number two, that after that, the Koch um, group, there's only one Koch brother left, but uh, that that Koch brother said, "Okay, the money's done. We're we're not going to put any more in. There's no pathway here." And I'd I'd love your take on that. Well, <clears throat> I don't. I I haven't really, um, you know, got into the the stats and the and the vote totals and things because I was on an airplane last night. But um, <clears throat> the, I think, I think you know, there's lots of ways you can look at this, Joel. I mean, you can look and say, forty percent of the Republicans voted against Donald Trump. Right. I mean, 40 percent of the people voted for Nikki Haley, which you said was a little higher than um, than thought. But I think, you know, what it really points to is four times now, four states we've gone through four states. Um, Trump has won handily, um, no matter who the opponents were um, and who the supporters were, who the endorsers were. Um, you know, Donald Trump wins. And I think, uh, you know, he's starting to consolidate the base. They're starting to make. Changes in the Republican National Committee. They're starting to to act like, feel like, look like he's going to be the nominee for president. So it's it's going that way. Nikki Haley saying I'm staying in there as an alternative through Super Tuesday, which is what March third or something like that, and um, and you know provide that alternative, and maybe she's hanging in there to um, provide an alternative if. Um, something happened to Trump and he got, he got uh, thrown in jail or, you know, who knows what might happen. But I think, you know, if, if, if you notice, Joel, Doug Burgum, when he was running for president, when he, when he backed off from running for president, he didn't quit. He suspended his campaign, you know, so everybody kind of hangs in there one way or another in case something happens, I'm here, I'm available. And I think Nikki Haley has put on a strong presence. Um, obviously she hasn't been able to make the sale more than Donald Trump. And um, now she is the only viable attorney, uh, uh, alternate. And, you know, that's what we're faced with. See, to me, the, the polling data after, and as you said, you were on a, on a plane, but the, the polling data of those individuals that didn't vote for Donald Trump, to me, is some of the, the most important polling data, which is, are you a never Trumper? Or not, and a and a large percentage of those weren't. And and if you wanted to put kind of a a, a link to what type of uh, what they make up, what group, it was suburban women. 
And uh, I, I wonder if that isn't a weakness of Donald Trump's all throughout this campaign. Um, I don't think there's any question that white suburban women, you know, are, are, have a concern with Donald Trump. Um, <clears throat> you know, what percentage of them or what, you know, what issues. And, you know, the other, the other thing that's different here, Joel, is we're talking about the nomination. Things mm-hmm. totally change when you have the two presidential candidates on the ballot um, trying to win the hearts and minds of people as you go into an election. So, and that's when things start to shift around. So you can see the coalitions right now, you know, the largest, largest single voting block in the Democrat side are black educated women. You know, so, you know, I mean, you've got all these blocks of people that are putting forth their candidate or supporting their candidate or not. That will change. And, and I think, um, you know, that's the, the situation we're in is it seems like we're, we're marching toward this path where we, where we, in this wonderful country of 350 million people and this melting pot of ideas and opportunity and things like that, we're putting forth two old white guys, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I mean, this is the best we have. Uh, I, and I think that's a, a topic we've got to go down in this show as well. But I want to, I want to go back to your experience because you're a good friend uh, that, that won the presidency twice. George W. Bush. Uh, George W. Bush knew that one of the biggest voting blocks that the Democrats had were Hispanics. And yet he didn't just say, okay, they have those. I'm not going to focus on that. And so he spoke Spanish. He went out there. And instead of losing uh, the Spanish uh, population, you know, three to one, he still lost it, but he didn't lose it by very much which in a close election matters a lot. And I think that you're seeing some of that with with uh, Joe Biden. I think that that should be a concern of his. And you're certainly seeing Donald Trump, albeit I think in a very uh, negative way this weekend, attempting to talk to the black voter. Well, I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy out there, Joel, uh, you know, with what's going on. And you always have these factions that that put forth their candidate or champion a candidate or whatever, and to try to peel off a piece of that, mm-hmm. just to lower, like you said, you know, instead of losing three to one with the Hispanics, George W. lost two to one or whatever, yeah. you know. But but in these close races, when they're just you know a million votes apart nationally or something like that, um, it makes a difference. It makes a total difference. And like you know, in our campaign in 1992, um, where I was kind of facing this. 40-year tenure of Democrats controlling the state house in Bismarck. Um, you know, we had to we had to look at that. We had to do that. So we had nurses for Schaefer and teachers for Schaefer and ranch herders, you know, sheep herders for Schaefer. Yeah. And you know, you try to get you know a group of people just to peel off a few a few votes from the way people have been expecting to habitually been voting. You know, looking looking for you know the momentum in an election. You have to look at, you know, how can I win? How can you win is taking those little pieces away from the opposition and putting them in your own camp. Well, it, it's it's something that clearly is being orchestrated. Uh, we can bring up, you know, whether or not some of it is gone down the road of racism. I mean, obviously, the leaders in the black community are, are talking about that after Donald Trump comparing himself to to the persecution that black people have by that mugshot, and uh, and then others in his camp talking about how he's going to get the black vote after releasing those sneakers. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just it, there's there's a play there, and how it plays out versus whether it's right or wrong has always been the question with that campaign. Uh, let's get to Don Haney but, though. Oh, well, just one thing. Yeah, you also have to recognize that President Biden is losing the right. black vote. You know, that black vote is moving away from the traditional, you know, cemented in Democratic Party vote to losing a lot of that vote. To Not to mention that after what's happening in Israel, he's losing a lot of the Palestinian vote. And in in uh, in Michigan, that's a huge issue Big as time. close as what that state was. So uh, stick around. We're going to have more table talk with Ed. 
Former Governor Ed Schaefer, we're going to do table talk with Ed at once a month. What do you got holding in well, your hand? You know, what is this we, about? We, we just kind of jumped right into the show and never really set it up. Uh-huh. You know, so I had two two thoughts about the start of the show. First of all, Nancy okay. says hi. Well, and and she said, you know, I'm, you know, this is this is going to be kind of fun and interesting. But she said, you get no fighting. No, there's, <laughs> there's no fighting allowed. I don't remember us ever fighting. <laughs> yeah, spirited debate maybe, well, but never fighting. Yeah. It, it, it depends even, on your definition of fighting. Even right? when I was in the legislature, yes, so we got along pretty good. Well, we got along better then, because <laughs> <laughs> we had to. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, that's uh, so. So that's you know pretty interesting. And and today is National Set a Good Example Day. By the way. So if we got to. There you know, you go. It's a good day to start the show. We'll send we'll send a tape to uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Okay. There you go. Okay. There you go. But anyway, I thought I should have some credentials, you know, to for you to be mm-hmm. be allowing me to uh, do this once a month and you know come into your space here and things. And so this is a letter. It's actually a copy of a newsletter that was up in Minot, North Dakota, um, and. It was a newsletter out when I was running for office. Okay. And I always kept it on the windowsill in my office in the governor's office for eight years because it was an inspiration for me to really perform. So it kind of starts out with this this, um, idea that Schaefer has Reagan's smile, George Bush's eyes, quote, that vision thing equals none, and sawdust for brains. (laughs) He doesn't either understand that nobody wins, especially Minot, if he doesn't get off his butt <laughs> uh, pronto. It'll, he, it, it'll take bold thinking to solve big problems, and Ed lacks the horsepower to think boldly and lacks the guts to sell it to his own party. He'd rather lose $150 million than ask for $50 million. The problem simply is bigger than Ed. He's the wrong guy at the wrong time. But, you know, he... he um, should get run out of office and just kind of sad in a way, but he asked for the job. The smartest thing he could do is take credit for great progress without raising taxes, declare himself a winner, thank for people for allowing him to lead, and then get the blank out of Dodge. But hey, even his friends never use the word smart when describing him. <laughs> so, Who wrote that? It's a, it was a newsletter in <laughs> in so Minot. This was a letter to the editor. It's a, no, it was a newsletter that was you know that he published before the days of podcasts or whatever oh, when they okay. people did little newsletters or whatever. So <laughs> so um, anyway, that was that was uh, my my effort in the campaign in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I don't adhere to or agree with those credentials. <laughs> well, so there, you know. Plus, I think you came out of it just fine. Um, you know, the the one thing I remember the most is us leaving the legislative session with a $13 million ending fund balance. $13 million. Now, granted, the economy went and did something that we had hoped it would do, and it never ended up being $13 million. But imagine running a state on that tight of a budget now. These guys, I mean, you cannot possibly tell me that the Republican Party in North Dakota is conservative. Well, they they certainly don't seem to be conservative from a fiscal standpoint. I mean, if you you know you know if you like like you said a thirteen million dollar independent balance was a big deal. We were shooting for ten, yeah. you know, in those days because in the previous administration they didn't have any, you know, and matter of fact we had negative independent balances and had to allocate services across the board, you know. So it was it was a tough deal, but you know it just it shows how when you when you develop policy that spurs the economy, then you pay for your government. Um, not by raising taxes, by economic activity. And we've been able to do that now all these years since, and we've gotten a lot of money. And unfortunately, when you and I were in the Capitol, um, we didn't have a choice. We didn't have the money to spend. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, you're making all these decisions. Today they have the money to spend. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot harder not to spend money when you have it. When you don't have it, you have no choice. But when you have the money to say, well, I'm not going to fund this or I'm not going to do that, it's a tougher position to be in. And the reality is uh, um, today, North Dakota government has grown more than population increase, more than economic you know, impact increase, more than personal income. You know, our government has grown, grown, grown. That's not conservative fiscal policy to me. That is not a Republican value to me. 
But it's been a situation because we've had the money and the legislature spent it. We got out of the legislative session one time in 67 or 68 days. Uh, and, and I was talking to John Dorso. I was in leadership on the Democratic side at the time. And he said, nothing's easier than getting people out of here when you don't have money. And, uh, and, and Dorso was right about that. He, his whole attitude was, you can complain all you want about this policy or that policy about social issues. But in the end, we're here to build a budget. And if we don't have money, let's go home. Yeah, and it and it and it. Um, well, let's yeah, hit it next time. <laughs> yeah, stick around. More coming your way on Table Talk. Table Talk with Ed. That's right. Ed Schaefer is in the house. We're going to get an opportunity to do this uh, once a month. Um, just want you to know if you go to the home base of the News and Views Radio Network uh, and you go to Capital Punishment. Our second episode of that is now out there, so you can find it. Uh, you can take it in, and uh, and we'll talk to the governor about that in just a little bit. But, Governor, before the break, we were talking about, you know, the state, how the state ran, the state budget, and whether or not, you know, the party that you hail from is truly conservative anymore uh, in terms of certainly its spending. You know, here's the Democratic side in me, though. You know, the, the state of North Dakota is sitting on $10 billion surplus, and my property taxes have doubled. And so I'm going to put you back in the governor's chair. Fix it. How would you fix that? Well, you know, <clears throat> we've been fighting property taxes forever. And, you know, property tax, Joel, is the worst tax, right? Because you get the bill and it's in front of your face. You know, we don't really pay attention to sales tax. You know, you pay your income tax once a year or whatever. That property tax thing is, is, a, is a tough one because it's a local tax. And the biggest problem, in my opinion, with property tax is it's a local driven tax. I mean, this, the property tax is driven by the county, by what they spend their money on, by what their budgets are, by how they evaluate the properties. You know, so it's all driven by the county. And the county says when somebody comes in and gripes, they say, oh, no, that's a state problem because they don't give us enough money, so this is the only way we have to do it. When you go to the state, the state says, hey, we have nothing to do with this. This is all, you know, this is all the county. So you have these, everybody's pointing fingers at each other, and you never solve the problem. So the reality is we've spent in, the, in this state, we've spent $7 billion of that surplus you're talking about of all this money. We spent $7 billion trying to buy down property taxes. Did your property taxes go down? No. Mine didn't. You know, so what are we doing? We're not, we're not, we're not solving the problem. So the way you solve the problem, in my opinion, is you make clearly where the responsibility is, who's, who's going to be able to manage the budget that the property tax drives and how are you going to deal with it? And so what are the complaints about property taxes? Fixed income people that own their own house seniors who've worked all their life to buy their house. And then they think, Oh, my own clear. And then I get my property taxes go up, up, and up, and up, you know, who's, who's, so you get, you know, single in people, homeowners, elderly, and folks that, that own their own home in a community that's growing around them. So their assessment for the value of that house goes up when they didn't do anything. They didn't, they didn't build an addition. They didn't put a swimming pool. They didn't buy more land. It just goes up and they have nothing to do with it and they have no way to pay for it. Those are the things that you have to solve because people, people don't mind paying taxes if they know their taxes are fair and that they're being spent wisely. And they're not. So people. So, but you say those are the things you have to solve. Yeah. How so do you solve it? it? Well, my, you know, I would, I would personally you know, I mean, where I'd start, you know, the starting point mm -hmm. is, you know, I'd say um, if someone uh, senior over, you know, a certain age um, on a fixed income that owns their own home would either have no property taxes or because their kids, they're not kids in school. They're not, you know, paying for cops to come over for a domestic fight, you know, hopefully. Um, but you so so a senior owns their own home, fixed income. Um, you eliminate property taxes or at least freeze them. You know, nothing else, you freeze it. So, um, <clears throat> you know, that's one thing. And who makes up that money? Well, do you, do you, you, do you make up the money? You know, the reality is <clears throat> if, if you, 
if you put, if you, if you solve some of these issues, um, the, if you take the people that are being impacted negatively by property taxes um, and you, and you take them off the table or at least stop it, um, <clears throat> you have an amount of money that's coming into the coffers of the entity that's spending it. So what are their priorities of spending that? Um, do you, you know, do you have uh, in, in Fargo, do you have um, uh, um, $10 million public, I don't know, you can't remember the number, a million dollars. You have a million dollar, you know, public media uh, office, you know, when instead of relying on your local media. I mean, what are your... What are your priorities of spending the money? COVID dollars, but yeah. Sure, but but you know what? COVID dollars go away. And when COVID dollars go away, that expense mm-hmm. stays there and it's paid so for. So I understand by your what you're taxes. saying, that you, you, there, there are things that you look at that did you have to spend. Right. I, I get yeah, that. Absolutely. But, but you and I both know that this the difference in this state versus a lot of others is its dedication to public education in terms of what it provides. You don't see the same percentage, even in the metro areas like Fargo, of kids going to the private schools as what happens in other cities this size. Agreed? Yes. Okay. So that means that we're doing a pretty good job at public education because people of means still are sending their kids to public education. That being said, if you look at the biggest expense of property taxes, it is K-12 education. You say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna stop uh, Harriet and John, who have reached uh, seventy years old, who have paid property taxes for years. That the scenario you just gave, they're not going to pay any more for property tax. That's going to come off of public education. Yeah, and I think um, you know, um, rightly, first of all, I feel strongly. First of all, I'm a I'm a local authority guy. I'm a local government guy, so. I think you put the you put the money and the focus and the attention where it is, where where the problems are, where the performance is. So I think that's um, that, first of all you start there. Put the responsibility of education where it belongs. Some of it is property tax, some of it is state directed, and this is for education. So I've always felt, um, and times have changed, but you know when I was in office, I felt there was an appropriate formula for that, Joel. I thought. 40% of the money for education should come from the community, 40% should come from the state, and 20% should come to the feds. So I had this, you know, 40-40-20 um, ratio of dollars to pay for education. That made sense to me, and that was balanced to me. Um, if, you start, if you start putting um, 80% of the money in the state and 20% in the community, who's going to run education? You know as well as I do, if you're a legislator and you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm paying for education, I'm going to control where that money goes. I'm going to control where it's spent. Do you want that? I don't want that. I want my local school board, my local parents, my local PTA, my local teachers deciding, you know, where that, you know, administration's where that money's going to go. So I think you have to, I think to solve the issue, you have to place the responsibility where it goes so the education is going to be local. How are you going to pay for it? What's the formula of the state of the of the locals? And you know the feds are down now to almost nothing, or you know less than five percent. So whatever that's going to be. But then you got to stick with the formula. And if you stick with the formula, and the and your budgets in the county are getting out of whack and they're going too high, well you got to deal with it at the county, not at the state. You don't put more money into the county. You get the county to trim their budget. To, or to operate their budget or to raise other taxes or whatever the case may be to balance their budget. And so today what we have is saying, let's just put all the money in, raise the taxes, who cares? Raise the valuations, who cares? It doesn't matter. You need to get some control over it. I think the control should be local. I think there should be a formula of payment. And I think you need to stick within that formula and adjust the budgets both at the state and at the county to where the where the money goes. There's two factors there. Number one, the state's constitution calls for the state to to fund it. Agreed. Uh, according to according yeah. to Rick Becker. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, the, the, if you read North Dakota's constitution, yes. 100 percent of that yeah. funding is supposed to be coming from the state. Now we can argue whether or not that should be in the constitution or not, but it is in the constitution. Well, the it other, doesn't say 100 percent of the funding. It says shall fund. shall fund. Yes. Right. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, you read it your way, and I'll read it mine. But it's, it means they shall fund. Now you're saying, do you want the state? with the dollars it sends sticking its nose into 
uh, public education. They are. I, they already are. I know. So what? What? I mean, they're they're not doing the funding that they could do, and they're already sticking there. I had I had Yana Murdahl on this show telling the public schools that they had to post the Ten Commandments, and I prefaced the interview by saying, "Look, the Ten Commandments were up when I was there, and they didn't hurt me a bit." Okay. So, I mean, I, I still, I think, turned out to be a pretty good person. But Mrs. Stack didn't get us up every day and say, all right, let's quote the t-. But Yana Murdahl said they had to be up. Now, let me just say this. I asked her what the Ten Commandments were, and she couldn't tell me. <laughs> so so they're, they're sticking their nose in beyond the school boards. They're getting into libraries. They're getting into all of these things based on how they think public education should be and they're not paying the bill. So so maybe Yana wanted to have those posted in the in the school so that Mrs. Stack had you reciting them every day so that you'd know them now today too. And maybe she doesn't know them because she thinks she should have you know, she goes. I'm, I'm, I'm really smiling at you. you <laughs> I'm smiling really over there. Yeah, hey, uh, but uh, but uh, you know, here's the reality. Uh, Mrs. Stack had you do the Pledge of Allegiance every day, didn't you? Every day. Yeah. So you know, the 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 that wasn't a state mandate, was it? No. I don't think it was culture. It was the culture. Well, it was the community. And it, was and it was local yep, control. Exactly. Right. So, but but my point is, out of the PTA. your argument is that you know by the, by not having the state funding all of it that then the state doesn't have this control over it. The, the Republicans in North Dakota are injecting control into what happens in that classroom session after session after session to the point where even the head of the Department of Public Instruction is taking on the Republican legislature. Uh, even you've got the Teachers Association saying, well, wait a second here. This adds nothing to the curriculum. So... I'm not sure if I'm not going to pay that big of a price from the Republicans in the North Dakota legislature that then I at least give me the money. So here's, here's, and I think you're making my point. If you eliminate property taxes, it's going to get worse. If you eliminate property taxes and all the money is coming from the state to pay for education, you know what's going to happen? That's going to get worse. And more, more legislators, more bills are going to be passed. More content issues are going to be put in place. You know, more teachers' directions, more teachers' restrictions, more administrators, more things are going to be in place to manage education from the state level from afar. It's going to get totally worse. Put the responsibility where it belongs. That's locally. Figure out a way to pay for it and make it happen. I just think I'd have a really hard time as a legislator or a governor today sitting on $10 billion while I sit there and watch people having to move out of homes because of property it, it isn't. It isn't a money issue. It isn't a but. It's a... It's a policy issue. It's a priority issue. It is not having a surplus issue. It's policy and direction and control and authority out of Bismarck. Okay, it's then, not I'll, money. then I'll challenge you when we come back on where we spend too much money. Oh, that's easy. Okay. No, no. I mean, I want specifics, though. I don't want this, well, education, this or that. Where in education do they spend too much money? Once a month, we're going to get a chance to have table talk with Ed. Ed Schaefer is uh, part of this team. Uh, and we're going to be doing it, you know, on a regular basis, which is kind of cool. Um, a lot of text messages coming in. We'll get to those. But before the break, Governor, I challenged you. You know, you, you talk about it isn't a it, it's a priority of where the money goes. It isn't a revenue problem for these local entities with their property tax. You, you, you've got the magic wand. There's no, it, it's like uh, Donald Trump. You're now a dictator. You can, oh, choose, right. <laughs> you can choose where you, where money gets cut. Where specifically do you cut? So first of all, I'm thinking, you know, we're going to do this regularly. As you said, table talk with Ed, I'm deciding, I'm sitting here going, this is going to be an unfair table talk because you have the screen in front of you and you can see what people are saying and you're seeing the text and you're seeing, and like you're controlling the conversation. <laughs> I haven't a clue here. So well, bring up any <laughs> subject you want. Bring it just, up. Just, I'm just teasing. Yeah. But, you know, no, go ahead. But, um, but uh, so I'm thinking about education. Yes. And one of the things that you learn when you're in office and you did too, probably not specifically this comment, but you learn what it is, 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 is education is this scenario. We have a declining enrollment, so we need more money. Or we have an increasing enrollment, so we need more money, right? I mean, that's education. 
you, you just need more money, right? You, you just can't fund it, you know, anywhere near to what you need to have. So um, going to that scenario, need more money is never a, a, how can we operate more efficiently? How can we do better? How can we lower our costs? How can we, you know, do use technology? I mean, how do you do this, right? Mm -hmm. So here's an example. So there was, um, um, you had mentioned our superintendent of education, Kirsten Baszler. And, you know, Kirsten, you know, put together a thing um, with the cost of administration, with the cost of superintendent of schools in all the school districts across North Dakota. And she showed how uh, salaries being paid to superintendents were very much higher than any salary in the community, that they were the highest paid people in the community. They were the, you know, education and they were balanced out all across the state and things like that. And so she put together a program that said, if we consolidated these school districts, if we, if we looked at it this way, if we said, Hey, um, let's, let's have a superintendent that takes care of three districts, small districts, mm -hmm. um, that would be a third of the size of the farmer district. The where you have one. Yeah, exactly. And, and you saved a ton of money. You mean you saved a ton of money doing it? Well, of course, that was of no interest to the legislature, you know, because they had the local pressure and they say, you know, um, you know, not only does the does the superintendent of schools, you know, get paid for being a superintendent, but he also goes out and plows, plows the snow in the parking lot, you know, and all this and that. So it's, it's worth the money and you got to pay her to do this. And so the legislature had no interest in reducing costs. You, reducing costs is an attitude. You've got to put it in place. You can do it, but you have to want to do it. All right. When we come back, more with Ed Schaefer right after this. Joel Heitkamp, Ed Schaefer here in Table Talk with Ed. We're going to get a chance to do this uh, once a month, and uh, it's going to be around this time. It's going to be on a Monday, we agreed to, right? Yeah. Right? And this, so on a Monday where we can have an opportunity to – See, he broke the mic already, Abby. Did no. you see that? You won't let me see the screen. You give me a crummy mic. This I chair, moved the screen this over chair is the worst chair in the you history said, of the world. And I told him you know, on the break. I said the chairs are actually so bad. Oh, we're going to change that by the time you get in here next time. I don't have the power of the purse string, but you saying it you're, will help. You're with the just folks trying to keep me on edge. Yeah. Like, you know. So, uh, you know, we talked about that on the break. And, uh, you know, so far it's been pretty much an interview of Ed Schaefer because, you know, I'm, I'm used to sitting in this chair and, and asking questions of someone who might be a guest, but as somebody who uh, is part of what is a regular segment, it should, you should get the opportunity to, to quiz me, try to put me into a box. Well, Putting you in the box is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Then bring it on. <laughs> then game on. Nancy, I just want you to know he started it. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, well, you know, as we were talking about, let's, let's take funding. You know, and one of the things we're talking about are Republicans out of the way. I mean, out of control, spending too much money. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our budgets in North Dakota have grown more than population, more than, than GDP, uh, more than personal income, you know, more than any kind of measurement you want to put in place. Our budgets in North Dakota have grown more than that. They've doubled in the last 10 budget cycles. You know, you can measure it any way you want. But in the last 10 budget cycles, we've doubled the size of our government in North Dakota. Um, so as a Democrat, you probably like that, right? You probably think that's a good thing. See, that's how you label but that's not true. No. I mean, there's all kinds of spending that I don't think the state should spend. I mean, I can give you example, example. I don't think that the state of North Dakota should be out capping wells in oil fields in western North Dakota when the people that derived income from them have long taken that income and left the state. Why would the state of North Dakota, and Doug Burgum generated this, go about capping infrastructure when we should be requiring they do it? That's an expense I wouldn't be spending. Well, but don't they do it, Joel? I mean, you, you, know, you have to put up a bond when you drill. Um, the bond is to cover reclamation, you know, when it's all over. So you say the state of North Dakota is doing it. The state of North Dakota is doing it by passing through the funds that are put up for reclamation when that drill, is, when that well is permitted. No, they, they, they budgeted the case? for it. And he used federal dollars to do it. Well. He, used, <laughs> he used COVID money to come in and to do that. Uh, I, I personally also believe, and I, I like what you're talking about with education, I, I believe that when you look at school administrators and you look at what they make, you're seeing school administrators being bus drivers. Well, I'm sorry. Are you going to make the highest paid person in the school district a bus driver? 
they're doing it out of necessity. They're not doing it because you're utilizing the best time. Uh, I, I personally believe that school districts long time ago when they saw declining enrollment should have looked at their neighbors like they do at sports now, but they wouldn't give up their school per se because they didn't want to give up their sports team. And so now just merely to have enough bodies to play football, they're combining. And what they should have done was do that in the actual school district itself. And I'm going to give you, here's the trouble. I won't be able to stop at the Manor VFW Hall again for a beer anytime <laughs> soon. But you take Hankinson, Ledgewood, Winemere, Matador. Okay, Matador census dissolved their school district. But every one of those towns is, is 10 miles apart. I mean, they're 10 miles apart. And if you draw them in a triangle, you know, to get from Hankinson, southern end of Hankinson to Winemere would be, 25 minutes, something like that. That should all be one school district. I mean, that should be all one school district. Instead of graduating with classes of 15, you'd be graduating with classes still smaller than the one I graduated from. But who's going to do that? You say local control, local control. I would argue that the state needs to take a lead in it because the Department of Public Instruction is operated out of the state of North Dakota. Why does the state have to take a lead in it? Because they're not doing it. Well, okay. So if the state didn't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. If the state said, we're not sending you money, we're not going to pay for it, we're not going to do it, what's going to happen? Well. Isn't the local folks, don't they have to take care of it? Don't they have to figure out? Don't you say that? Then the state isn't meeting its criteria, right? I mean, you, uh, per the North Dakota Constitution, have to pay that. And all you're punishing then is kids. So, So we're not bold enough to look at what could be done, we're sitting here saying local control, local control, local control. If, if you're sitting there having local control in Edinburgh, and I've got Yana Murdahl on my school board, I don't want local control. If that's how you define local control, well, but I think that's you know that's that's an issue with you, Joel. I mean, you you want to run government by who's in charge, right? And well, I by, expect the but, person in charge to yeah, run it. But, yeah, but so you're just saying. You know, if Yana Mirdal is on the school board, you don't want local control. But, you know, local control means local control. It doesn't mean who's there. Or, I, you know, I, I believe in local control only when the people I, are in local control that I want. I mean, local control is, that's what it is. And sometimes you have That wasn't what like I was pro- saying. What I was saying, saying was you don't want to well, give that carte blanche. But you did say it. You did say if Yana Mirdal's on the local control, I don't want local control. I think that's she's what you an said. Example. That's a quote. Right. But I think she's an example of why local control can't work. But is, local is control because you gave people like her carte blanche. No, no, local control is local control, and the people decide who those leaders are in local control. Okay. And the people decide who those leaders are in local control. That means those leaders are reflective of the people in that whatever the control so the, area the is. The school board should decide. The, I think right? I think the school so board then shouldn't the school board decide what the superintendent of, of of that school district makes? Absolutely. Because you said that that Kirsten Baser was making the point yeah. they're paid too much. Right. Well, which one is it? I agree. You said that it belongs local control and that yet you pushed Kirsten Baser's plan as the initiative which then would come from the state. Yeah, and I and and, and That's a direct quote yeah. by the way. Yes. <laughs> and 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 you're absolutely right. But the but the here's my point, we we want we want control if the people we we like are in control, right? Um, so if you look at if you look at local control from an education standpoint, and we have when we say you have this much money in your budget, how are you going to spend it? How are your priorities? What happened in the school districts that were small and couldn't? And you said you should consolidate. We should we should figure out maybe we need to fund you a little bit to pay for upfront costs to consolidate, whatever the case may be. And of course, then you want to say, well, if you're going to shut down your school and your community, how are we going to backfill that with some economic development, get some jobs to replace them? You know, it's it's not just mm-hmm. a singular thing that goes on. So what happened? The football teams fo- forced it. The football teams forced consolidation because people. Came in together, sports, but not the school. But well, yeah. yeah. So, but but why was it? The people came together and said, "We want a football team, and we can't field one." And we start talking about, "Well, let's consolidate, you know, 
Ellendale and, you know, the neighbor, whatever. So you start saying, let's, this got to be driven by the people, not by government. And Okay, so 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 let me ask you this. Do you remember how close the vote was uh, by the public to vote for uh, Davies High School? No. That's because they didn't. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't. Fargo School Board just announced that, look, we're going to build Davies High School. And, and we're going to build it here. There was no vote of the public. There was no local control by the vote of the public. Now, you're going to say, well, they voted in the school board, right, to do that. But my point is you've got a $150 million piece of infrastructure that was never voted on by the public. And that was through a board and a philosophy that was <laughs> – I can point out who they were on the board. They're conservatives. Um. And I agree. And not, o- not only, Joel, was the school built there and the money allocated to build a school, but guess what? They had to lift it up, you know, many feet to get it above flood level. Then they had to build the roads out there. Then they had to put those stupid roundabouts in, you know, and so we lived down on, you know, on... You don't road. like the roundabouts? No, roundabouts are stupid. I love them. The only reason you have roundabouts is because the federal government pays for them. Nobody likes them. It's no small community. Ask a snowplow driver if he likes them. Oh, I, I doubt yeah. he likes them, yeah. but I Nobody, will tell yeah. you, I like them. Yeah. Why? Because you like to see people I don't go like crazy. sitting at a red light. <laughs> <laughs> I don't but, have to sit at a yeah, red light when but, there's nobody there. But, but, but here's the point. So uh, we live in the Rose Creek area. Somebody makes a decision to put Davies High School there. It wasn't just the school. They raised the road. They raised the property. They, our specials went up. Because they had to repave the road going by our community. Local right? control. Local control. That's right. But so, so when I go complain about local control, you say the state should pay for it. The state should pay for it. No, the state shouldn't pay for it. The people that are responsible for making decisions in the community, those people are the ones that should stand before the people and say, I'm saying I the did this state should that send bad. the money to the school boards. That's what they should do. I don't believe that we should be delving into, okay, local control. Do you believe that the, the Republicans in the legislature it should have involved themselves in that local school's uh, library? No. They did. I know they did. <laughs> they did. That's the Republican Party you're a member of. That's yeah. what they did. Well, we can... You know, we can we can get into arguing what the Democrats did and what the Republicans do. But I think, you know, Joe, what what this what this points to is, you know, the the Democrats always say, well, we have this big tent. We allow people in our party from all stripes and sizes and shapes and thoughts and philosophies Mm -hmm. and whatever. The Republicans say we we have this big tent. We want everybody, you know, pro-choice and pro-life and, pro. you know, we want all these people in our party. What's happened in our big tents is that we've gotten such big tents that now inside the tent in both parties, we're starting to see the extremists on both sides take over or, or you know, have, uh-huh. have more strength. And, and that's, the, that's the problem because in politics, as you know, it's a pendulum. So power shifts back and forth on a pendulum, and eventually those in power, Republicans, will go too far. They take it too far, and then, it's, and then the people rise up and say, no, 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 we're going back. They shift it over to the Democrat side. The Democrats eventually take it too far. It gets out to the fringes. It gets bad, takes over, and then you go, bam, you got to get it back. The problem we have right now, both parties are at the end of the pendulum. Well, both parties are I, out there, and we can't figure I, I out how to bring it I could argue against in. that on my side of the, of the aisle, but uh, yeah, I think that the— No extremists in the Democrats? Well, no, they're oh. extremists. It's just they're not winning. Oh, the extremists in the in the Democratic Party, the AOCs and others, they're not winning the day. Oh, my gosh. No, they're oh, not winning sure. the day. They're not <laughs> winning the day. If you look at the moderates in the in the United States Senate, they're the ones that sat at the table and cut a deal on the border. Those were the moderates. The liberals in the in the Senate hated them for doing it, hated them for doing it. The Republican Party couldn't take yes for an answer. The extremists won because one man, one man called and said, no to the deal. Now that's that is what's your part. Stick around. I'll let you answer it. I promise. <laughs> Welcome back to Table Talk with Ed Ed Schaefer in studio. Once a month, we're going to get a chance to do this. Uh, all right, uh, you know it's. I don't want to do this now because we're pretty close to the bottom of the hour. But at some point during our conversation, you're going to have to tell me if a frozen embryo is in fact a person. 
Yes, just want to say that. Well, At some point, you got to tell me that since we're talking about extremisms. Yes, and in, in what we were talking about is, the, is, as you said, we can talk about that later, but the extremism of our parties. And you were saying, boy, there's no extremists in your party. I didn't say that. They, said you said they don't winning. have any influence. Yeah, That's right. Except they are. Winning. Except they are, Joel. Give me and, an example. Um, gender neutral education. Gender neutral education. That's that's where your party is winning, and that's the extremists that that want to have that. So, so did you look into what's actually happening in education versus what's being labeled as happening yes. in education? Because I will tell you this: there's no kitty litter out there. Oh, well, of course there's, not. There's no. I mean, that, but that there's was nobody told drinking over and over and over again either. by the Republican Party. Right. Was that these schools are being told because of of the the, the gender? You know that. That kitty litter needs to be in bathrooms. That was a bunch of BS spread by the I, Republican Party. That was a bunch of BS spread by extremists, not On the Republican side, Party. Yes. Well, that call themselves right. Republicans. That's true. Right. And there's plenty of extremism on the Democrat Party with the same thing, saying, you know, it's okay to have uh, a man who claims he's beat a woman, you know, dress in the dress in the uh, girls' dressing room and go play basketball, you know, with someone who's six feet tall playing against little junior high girls that are, you know, 5'5". Five, five. Um, that's okay. So right? if the that's school fine. board says that's okay, is it okay? Uh, I, if the school board says it's okay and the school board is reflective of the people saying it's okay, that's what government's so all about, isn't it? if the school board says it was okay, you'd be okay with it? If the people say it's okay, I'd be okay with it. If the school board, which is the local governing entity, right. said, look, this person identifies as a woman, struggles with... Uh, her yes. sexuality right. uh, is going through what is a period in their life when they've got a suicide rate higher than any whatsoever. We are going to let that individual compete, which, by the way, has been what? One example across the country? Two? I mean, yeah, there was one a, in Ohio. Well, there's right? there's more than that. But, but it was an issue that you, uh, your side of the aisle could gleam on and say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at look yeah. at this is going to happen all over just like kitty litter. But but it is happening all over. Joel. Where? And that's, we're in North Dakota. We're in South Dakota. Yeah, we're okay. in Minnesota. But we're not talking about North Dakota and South Dakota. We're talking about the parties driving the United States of America and where it's going and what it's doing. And there are examples over and over and over again where it's a problem. There's You know, you can pick out one thing and say, no, there's only one in North Dakota, right? I can pick out and say, hey, there's you know, a clear example of some guy that identified as a woman gets into the ladies' bathroom and rapes a little, you know, fourteen-year-old girl. So you can always find those simple examples. The problem is, it's the direction, it's the policy, it's what you stand for, it's what you believe in, and you generate the thing. And that's my point: it's the people. Well, so I if the people elect the school board, and the school board makes the decisions, the people either have to support the school board or have to change the school board. I it's went driven to by the people. a public forum held by uh, the, the legislators the last time in my district. And so I had I had three people up there. I had Cindy Scriber-Beck. I had uh, Elisa Mitzgog. I had uh, Larry Lewick. Okay, Larry Lewick being the senator. He bashed local libraries like crazy. Because of the availability of these books, right? The local school board or the local librarian was there. She was right there. I asked her afterwards, did you did he ever talk to you? Did he ever no. No, no he never talked to her. He never sat down and said, gee, what you know, is this true? He he just picked up this mantle of, hey, if we say this enough times that it's happening in our schools, it was bull. Total bull. I mean, it's just driving me nuts. All right, when we come back, we're going down the embryo road. <laughs> Stick around, more coming your way. Table talk with Ed. That's what we're doing. Uh, it'll be on a Monday. It'll be once a month, and he's good enough to come on in and have this conversation. And we're talking about and, and potentially uh, promoting what uh, the former governor could be doing on a on a larger, bigger scale podcast as well so there's more opportunities to to hear some of his viewpoints and opinions and just conversation but governor i gotta ask you um your party the the appointees and the elected officials from your party decided in alabama that um an embryo that would would to be used with in vitro fertilization is in fact a human being and that that embryo uh cannot be discarded your thoughts. 
I don't, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't really had a chance to, you know, kind of absorb that whole thing yet and try to figure out what it is. Um, certainly, um, you can freeze sperm and you can freeze an embryo and they can come together and create a human being, right? So are the two separate pieces a human being or not? I don't know. I mean, certainly in God's grand design, you know, those two pieces come together and create a human being. And a fertilized embryo, in my opinion, is a human being. Well, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking fertilized, about fertilized yeah. embryos uh, that are waiting to be inseminated, right? And so you've got a fertilized embryo that that now can be frozen, that hasn't been implanted yet. Is that, in fact, a human being? Oh, say, because so I'm confused. You said you were talking about... I've got fertilized right. embryo and send waiting to be fertilized. So, I don't... so, so an embryo, <laughs> embryo is okay. a fertilized egg. It's a fertilized egg. An right. IVF in that process, they take a bunch of eggs out, they fertilize it outside of human bodies, and then they freeze them until it can be. She's walked me through this ten times <laughs> until <laughs> it can be put back into a woman and hopefully makes right. a baby. So it is a so fertilized is, egg. So the the sperm and the egg have been. <laughs> together and that makes an embryo and that makes an embryo Mm -hmm. so that's a fertilized embryo is that embryo a human being i think it is yeah so the alabama court got it right that that you because because when they implant these embryos that there are some that are going to work there are some that aren't there are some that you don't need to work they remove the embryos this is exactly what a human is being does. Is that an abortion? Exactly, exactly what a woman does. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't get embedded in the uterus wall. But sometimes is they that don't, an yeah. abortion? Huh? Is that an abortion? If it's removed? They don't just implant one embryo, right? What, what the attempt here is to get the woman pregnant. Thus, so in, yeah, it's, it's a super expensive process um, for women that are struggling with fertility, but they take out as many eggs as, as needed. I mean, they're, they're taking out a lot of eggs because they want to up the chances of success. So then they take them out and in a lab hospital, whatever, they will add the male, the male partner in the situation, his sperm to it and create the embryo. And then they freeze. I don't know if they freeze them right away. I would assume to keep them viable. Um, but they would sit in a freezer for who knows how long until the woman's ready to use it. I don't know how many I guess they put into the woman because like you don't also want to risk having like eight kids at once. But I don't. I guess I don't know that part. It's of happened. It. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's happened. Right. I don't know how many they put back into the woman. I guess the 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 point I'm trying to make is, you know, we've been talking a lot about local control, been talking a lot about local decisions. Why in the world would the government have any say whatsoever over a couple's use of in vitro fertilization and what happens with that embryo, that that egg of a woman, that sperm of a man that has formed that embryo that that thank I mean, if, if the whole notion is about pro-life, 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 isn't this a way of creating life? Why in the world would Alabama get to determine now based on the Dobbs decision that this is in fact taking life. Um, well, first of all, it's not based on a Dobbs decision. It's based on the specific um, issue of is an embryo a life, right? Is that well? The, is that the, what it is? It is based on the Dobbs decision, though, Ed. Because if you didn't have the Dobbs decision, if you still had Roe v. Wade be the law of the land, there's no question of what this would be. Because if it moved up through the courts, that's settled. That's okay. solved. So. So you, you remove, here's, here's what I would ask. You remove this, the egg from a female. Mm-hmm. You introduce sperm to it, which makes it an embryo. An embryo. If you put that embryo in a different person, would it grow? Well, yeah, that would, just, yeah. That would be yeah. like. Um, so, so it is life. Right. Right. If you put it over here, it'll grow. If you put it over here, it'll grow. If you put it over there, it'll grow. So it is life. How much life do you know can be frozen? Well, you got to ask those crazy guys who do the cryogenics, right? (laughs) Freeze their body so you can. It's the science that's giving that mother and father an opportunity. What was the old, um, 
Woody Allen movie Sleeper, where he where he got frozen, woke up fifty years later. <laughs> yeah. You know, but um, but really, what they're doing by doing this is they're taking the opportunity for people to utilize in vitro fertilization as a means of of becoming that family, of having that child. Because places like the University of Alabama now are saying, no, we're out. We're not going to be accused of murder here. So I guess I'm not not quite understanding the situation that you're trying to point out. So you got a frozen embryo that is fertilized. Mm-hmm. That is life. I mean, it's, it's going to grow because it's right? fertilized. Yes. So then you you implant it, and then remove it. I mean, what do you what do what are you saying? The okay. So let let me let's just assume for debate's sake, which isn't the case in most cases, that you know they'll they'll implant right. Yeah. And and so once the woman is pregnant, you've you've got what were stronger embryo than other embryo, right? And so then decisions are made about the others because you don't want. 10 kids or eight kids or nine, you know, that type of a pregnancy. That being said, you you sit there and let's say it is one and the one works just for debate's sake. What do you do with all those other existing embryos? Okay. And and so, what, what, th- what they're saying is, is if you discard them, if you damage them, then you have in fact broken the law by taking life. So, so you know that gets down to the abortion debate. So I see where you're going with right. the Dobbs decision. Well, it, it you know, is because, about the abortion because debate. if it's so under North Dakota law, if it was within six weeks, right, it would mm-hmm. be allowed. Correct. Well, if it was in within six weeks in North Dakota, it would be allowed. Right. So, well, the, the North Dakota makes sure that that any decision you make has to be made within six weeks before most people even know they're pregnant. Would you well, agree I, with that? No, I don't think that's true. Oh, that most people, true. most people, some people don't know they're pregnant. Most people don't know they're pregnant. I don't agree. Well, okay. You know, so I mean, and I don't, what is the number? You know, tell me what the number is. Well, I, you know, I, I, if, if it's, if it's five, it's too big of a number for well, me. For you. Yes. Yes. But but don't say most people. Well, okay. you know, don't know it's six weeks. Let's not deflect. Yeah, okay. Let's yeah, get not, back right. to the: Is the embryo a human yeah. life? I think should it, is. it should they be allowed to dis to discard it? So if it were, if it's a human life, and I believe it is, um, and you took it to term, and say you had triplets, and you said one of these triplets seems to be pretty cool, and the others aren't, so let's get rid of them. Is that, that okay? Isn't, that isn't what the debate sure is. It is. No, it isn't. It Governor. is. You're saying. You're no, saying take those I'm embryos out. Is, is the embryos themselves, right? That's what was damaged in Alabama. That that a worker tipped over right. these individuals' embryos, broke them. The individuals charged them. The Supreme Court ruled that he took life by doing that. I mean. The, literally, the University of Alabama no longer will do in vitro fertilization. Not only that, but let, let's use Sue and I. Let's use names like Sue and I. So this was the only way we could get pregnant. You have a whole lot more embryos than you're ever going to use. So what do you do then just from a practical sense of those embryos? What do you do after after we would get pregnant? After we would have a child, we've achieved this, this, the goal, the success of in vitro. And so now you've got all these other fertilized embryos, which what do you do with? So, I mean, we're talking about two different things here, Joel. One is, one is you're saying, um, you know, the guy dropped the Petri dish and killed him, so let's throw him in jail for murder, Right. The other thing you're saying is let's implant a whole bunch of eggs in somebody and when one takes, get rid of the rest. Right? So if that's what you're if that's what you're saying, Joel, if you say, I'm gonna put eight eggs in here, and when one implants in the uterus and one starts to grow, then I'm just gonna take the rest out, then I do think that you're removing life. Do you believe that the embryo should be allowed to be discarded that you have stored? It's fertilized, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the embryo. You know, I don't know about that. I don't. I don't know because Alabama says you can't. Um, and you that can't that happened because of the Dobbs decision. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know about that. I don't. You know, I don't know. 
Okay, if, let if me, it's let a fertilized egg it. and it's life and you destroy it, you're taking that life, right? Let me take it to a different place because you say local control. Here's here's what else is happening out there. Okay, Let, let's use Jane Doe as the example here. Jane Doe is a is a uh, 12-year-old girl, which I can give you examples of where this has happened. She's been sexually assaulted, sexually abused. She finds herself pregnant. She's in Tennessee, and the state government in Tennessee and the governor are stopping her from being able to go to another state, which thus local control. So she couldn't go to Minnesota, for example, to have an abortion. Should Tennessee be within its rights to do that? Well, in that specific example, she went to Indiana or whatever and did get the abortion, right? No, no, that that isn't my point. My point is states are now, because of this, passing laws that don't allow that 12-year-old to go. Should they be able to do that? You know, I think, Joel, the, what you have to look at is the states aren't passing laws that say she can't go to another state. They're passing yeah, laws. They no, they're not. Yeah, they are. No, they're not. They're passing laws that say she can't have an abortion in my state. No, 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 she no. She can governor. go to another there, state. No. Minnesota's advertises said, come to Minnesota and have an abortion. They're, you know, what do you they're mean? They're attempting <laughs> to pass laws that don't let these individuals leave the state. That's what you they're doing. You can't. You can't pass a law to allow an individual to not leave a state. You so can't. You are we going to put out them. guns on the border and say, check your ID here and get your government pass to go to Minnesota? Okay, let's, let's get to a phone call because <laughs> that is, in fact, what they're doing. Michelle, you're on with Ed Schaefer, Joel Heikamp. Okay, Ed, here's the thing. A seed is just a fertilized embryo. So if you have seeds for your garden, but you don't put them in the garden... They're not going to grow, right? They cannot become a life. And there are kids dying and people dying because they can't go to Texas and then move back home because they will be prosecuted by law, by the Texas law. It's a law. You have to look at the whole picture. You're not just what what the, the whole picture is, is the government is making decisions about people's health care about a woman's health care. You're sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Just like if we had tried to do that and let's say somebody went and said, hey, you know what? We'll, we'll make you um, wait three days after you come in and you can pay for it, but then you have to come back and in three days and then you can you can do this. And that's perfectly okay when it comes to an abortion. But bring that up for a gun lobbyist. They will blow their stack. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for the call. Well, you know, I, I appreciate Michelle's call. You know, it's obviously, I mean, it's you know, she had several things in there, you know, about the about the issues. But, you know, the, I, I think the, the important thing here, Joel, is, you know, I've stated, whether Michelle likes it or not, I've stated that I believe a fertilized embryo is life. I do. So she doesn't. You know, I mean, that's no, but, that's OK. Those are different people. I you, mean, it, you know, but you have yet to tell me what you're going to do with all of those stored fertilized or all those stored embryos. If 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 Joel and Sue have the baby on the way, we, right. we have the baby, right. the baby's coming and we have all this leftover embryos and we want to discard them. What do we do? Because yeah. it costs a lot to store them, too, by the way. Sure. Of course it does. Um, I don't know. I mean, I said I said before, you know, I haven't really come to grips with that whole thing yet. I don't yet. think Alabama I, uh, has either, but yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think anybody, I don't think society has. We're going to take, well, know? one could argue that if, if you don't stick your nose into their business, society has. Ah, but that, that's a Republican value. Keep, you know, well, let's be careful now. Second here. We don't want government in our lives. I, that's Republicans. I don't know which value you have because <laughs> you, you, you supposedly are the party of pro-life, which I would argue, okay, if you're pro-life, there's many things that define that. But what in vitro fertilization is doing is allowing life. I agree. So I, why are I, you stopping I love it? In, I'm not stopping it. Well, you are too. No, 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 oh, no. stick around. That's More coming in your vitro. Way. I mean, do you think they're going to stop doing in vitro fertilization in Fargo, in Fargo, Alabama. North Dakota? In Fargo, do you think they're going to do it in Fargo, North Dakota? The University of Alabama, which is where the first... 
Well, I well, do you am. think they do it in North Dakota? Well, I tell Is you it what. St- are we stop? Are Republicans if, stopping in vitro fertilization did, in North Dakota? Come you on, you did open so, all of that up with the Dobbs no. decision. Absolutely, did. I Republicans did. did. <laughs> all right, stick around. More coming your way here on News and Views. A couple of things I want to get out there. Number one, uh, if you go to kfgo.com, you can find that podcast, episode number two of Capital Punishment. A lot of calls uh, this weekend on that. And and I told you, the second episode is going to be coming out soon. Well, it's out. And the third episode will come out this week as well. Uh, you know, the, this, this edition of Table Talk is, it, well, it's fun. It's fun for me, and we'll be doing it more. But uh, Ed Schaefer, if you're just joining us, our guest for just a couple more minutes here. I got this from an old reffing buddy of mine, okay? He said, uh, when my daughter Jess gave her farewell speech at the State Fair FFA convention, Ed found Lori and I, uh, sat down, uh, and he said, I just have to meet the parents. That happened over 20 years ago. <laughs> and you made a friend that day. Right, you know, right. and and they're, they're good people. And, uh, you know, Joel, to kind of wrap up what we've been talking about today, I'm going to go going back to Michelle, who, who called in. And, you know, I think, I think what we're getting into today is everybody wants to design government what they think it should be. And what, you know, I want, I'm going to get elected so I can tell you what to do and how to do it and whether an embryo is alive or dead or it's murder or whatever. You know, and when you're doing public policy, it really should be driven by the people. And it's not today. It's driven by individuals, you know, that want to make a mark or have headlines or get hits on Facebook or whatever. Because what I believe and what my personal philosophy is, is a part of public policy. But if I'm going to represent all the people all the time, my part is hopefully an influential part in public policy, but it's not the only part because Michelle has a part and you have a part and Fred Smith and Sally have a part, and you put that all together for public policy. And I think the danger that we're in today is everybody said, I think this is what it should be. This is the only way. This is what it, and we're taking our eye off well, the people. But in and fairness the people to you, you won. This. You won. I mean, you won the presidency. You, you got the appointees on the Supreme Court. If you believe in control, you won. So let's do this again soon. 